Turn with me now to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to talk about love today. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. This is God's holy and inspired word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Love is the theme of this section and is the theme of today. And as I think about love, the thing that immediately jumped out to me was all of the songs that I could think of that either have the, the title or the, the, the word love in the title or they have love mentioned throughout the song. And there have been a number of songs that have been sung over the years in our American culture. Songs like, and I will always love you. Or, what's love got to do with it, got to do with it? Or Elvis, I can't help falling in love with you. Think about the classic, when a man loves a woman. Or, you make loving you easy. Or looking for love in all the wrong places. And then the classic song I immediately thought of is, What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Our society is enamored with love, whether it's of them. <laughs> Watch out, Cole, I'm coming for your job. Not really. Our society is enamored with, with love, whether it's songs that we sing, whether it's movies that we watch, shows that we watch. We are enamored with love. And I was thinking last night, I need a, a good example. This doesn't happen every week, by the way, where I'm, where I'm thinking about my sermon the night before. But, but last night, I just could not think of a good example. And then it dawned on me of what week we're entering, and that is Valentine's week and Valentine's Day. And as I was thinking about Valentine's Day, it made me think about how Valentine's Day is a major staple of our American culture. But where did Valentine's Day come from? I didn't know until last night as I researched this. Where did it come from? There's a lot of different theories about the origin of Valentine's Day. The first theory is that it came from a pagan holiday with the founders of Rome who dedicated a day like this to the Roman god of agriculture, Faunus, it was a festival that had very little to do with love, but more to do with sexual immorality, so it was not good, a pagan holiday. Years later, the church, in response to this pagan holiday, they wanted to uh, make it more Christian, and they celebrated a feast in February commemorating the death of St. Valentine. Legend has it that Roman Emperor Claudius II executed two men by the name of Valentine on February 14th in the third century. One story says that Valentine was a priest who continued performing weddings even when the Emperor Claudius had told him not to. 
The Emperor Claudius had issued an edict against a marriage in order to make sure his soldiers had no family ties. So they wouldn't get married, but they would be loyal to, to the military. Another legend stated that Valentine was a Christian. The other Valentine was a Christian priest, and he was thrown in jail because he had ended up healing this girl who was blind. And the day before he was executed on February 14th, he wrote this young girl a letter signing it from your Valentine. In the fifth century, Pope Galatius I declared February 14th a day to honor St. Valentine. And during the Middle Ages, the poet Geoffrey Chaucer Uh, he wrote a poem that celebrated when people got engaged. He particularly celebrated an engagement, and he said that on Valentine's Day, it marked the beginning of the bird's mating season. The first Valentine's Day card happened in 1415 by a guy named Charles of Orleans. He sent this card to his wife while he was in prison, and that letter is still on display in the British Museum. By 1450, a valentine was the name of one's sweetheart. In 1610, gifts were given to your sweetheart. And then finally, in 1840, a woman named Esther Howland, she sold the first mass-produced Valentine's Day card in the United States, which later, in 1913, Hallmark Company claimed, and they added cards to their production list. Now, we have the Hallmark Channel and a lot of chick flicks. I've seen a few of them myself. Guys, don't judge me. Now in America, a recent study was done that the average American spent just over $126 on Valentine's Day. So that might be you. Americans spend over $4.1 billion on jewelry on this day, $3.5 billion on date nights. Consumers also have been known to spend on their dogs, $367 million annually for their pets, There are 220,000 proposals, engagement proposals that happen on Valentine's Day that represents 10% for annually. And this is the funny one I heard, I read. 15% of women send themselves flowers on this holiday. A lot there about Valentine's Day, but what I found interesting is there are many different theories about where it started, how it originated from, and who it originated from. When we think about love from the Bible, we know its origins. We know that God is the author of love. He started love. His very nature rings true of love. So the Bible has a lot to say about love. Even though our culture is enamored with it, and we try to figure out what it is by singing songs or writing poems or whatnot, John gives us the answer today of what true love is. And he mentions three things. Love is originated by God, love is manifested by Jesus, and love is demonstrated by his people. As I mentioned a minute ago, the Bible has a lot to say about love, and whenever you think about the love chapter of the New Testament, what comes to mind? To me, it's 1 Corinthians 13. I've probably performed 90 weddings in my history thus far, and 1 Corinthians 13 is a common passage that you go to on that wedding day and that ceremony. It's mentioned, the, the, agape, the, the word agape is mentioned eight times in 14 verses. And you know that classic chapter, love is patient, love is kind, uh, love does not envy, it does not boast, uh, it, it keeps no record of wrong, etc., etc. It's a great passage. And it's known for being the love chapter of the Bible. 
But as I studied 1 John chapter 4, I realized something. 1 John chapter 4 should be the love chapter. Why is that? Well, the word agape, which is the word love, it's mentioned 27 times in 17 verses, 27 times from verses 4 through 21. And in fact, this section I read, John gives the imperative, you are to love one another just as God has loved you. Three different times he says it in these few verses. So 1 John 4 should indeed be the love chapter of the New Testament. The first thing that John mentions about love is love is originated by God. If you look at verses seven and eight, you can see where love got its origin from. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. At the end of verse eight, John says it simply, God is love. Love has its origin in God. And just as light radiates from the sun, so love radiates from God. Love is God's very nature. And as you read through the the New Testament, you'll see four different words that describe love, love. The first word is that of eros. Eros is mentioned throughout the New Testament and it's described as that intoxicating romantic love between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. That's what the eros love is. The second love word that you may come across in the Greek text of the New Testament is philia. And I find it interesting in God's sovereign orchestration. I didn't plan this, but we prayed about the church of Philadelphia a minute ago. What does the the name Philadelphia mean? The city of brotherly love. And whenever you come across the word love in Greek, that's philia, it refers to that of brotherly affection, one that is warm and noble and a deep friendship. The third Greek word that you may run into in the New Testament is stergo. Stergo is a family love between a parent and a child or when you enjoy the company of others. The word that John mentions throughout this chapter and throughout his letter is the word agape. And agape is not mentioned in many ancient literature texts other than the New Testament. But the New Testament is saturated with this word agape. And why is that? Well, let's look at the definition of agape. It is the unconditional, selfless love that expects nothing in return. It's self-giving. It's other-centered. It's God's very nature. It's his essence. So when God says that he loves us, it's not I love you if you do this or I love you because you do this. There's nothing in us that would cause God to love us. We're sinners, we're dead in our sins. But God's love for us does not have anything to do with something in us that caused him to love us. Rather, his love for us is motivated by who he is, not by who we are. And so because he loves us, he tells us to love one another with that unconditional, unselfish, sacrificial love that's others-focused instead of me-focused. And when we begin to love like he loves us, two things are true about us that this passage tells us. The first thing is that we are children of God, sons and daughters of God. The second thing is that's true about us is that we know God because of our love, agape love for one another. So the first thing is, is 
when we begin to love like he loves, then it's evident and obvious that we belong to him. As I was thinking about this, I thought about biological parents. Many of you are parents in the room and you have biological kids, a lot of you do. Many are adopted, but some are biological. When you have a biological kid, your DNA is, in many ways, transferred into their DNA. And so, like it or not, kids, you're gonna end up looking like your mom and dad, potentially, or you're gonna sound like them. You might even have some of the same mannerisms like them. If you look at a picture with me and my dad, I'm 30 years younger, I'm his junior. It's crazy how identical I look like him, especially when I shave my head. That's our DNA, that's part of the DNA. But when you think about it in this term, you think about how God's love, his very nature, as his spirit comes in us and we're united with him, we begin to have that nature of love in us. Yes, we still have that selfish nature in us too. And we have that that loving nature of God in us. And so that's why we're able to start loving just as he loves us. But we not only are born of God and we are sons and daughters of him, but we also know him. The word know means having an intimate relationship with him. It's more than knowing facts about God. It means to be related to him. And so as we love one another with that agape kind of love, it reveals that we have full, not, or not full, but we have knowledge of God, and we know him intimately. And that love that's produced in us from God, it changes us. You know, this week I, I read many commentaries on this text, and probably my favorite one for this week was Chuck Swindoll's commentary. And he said this, he said, if a hose is connected to a water supply, water will flow through the hose. If a wire is connected to an electrical source, power will flow through the, the wire. If a branch of a tree is connected to the root and trunk system, the sap of the tree will flow through the branch. And if a man or woman is truly connected to the loving Father through the Son by the indwelling Spirit, the love of God will flow through his or her life toward others. That's what this love means to us. And it's originated by God. You know, our sinful nature, again, I mentioned we still have it. And so the sinful nature is saying, What's in it for me? I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It's all about me and it's me focused. But this agape love is saying, no, it's not about you. Who cares about you? It's about other people. It's about showing love to others and putting their needs above your own, putting their interest above your own. And this love, this agape love, was founded by God. It was started by God. He's the very definition of this kind of love. John first says that love is originated by God. Then he goes on to say love is manifested by Jesus, verses nine and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, it's one thing to say that God is love. It's another thing for God to show his love. And what great act did he show to us in sending his son from heaven to come on a rescue mission, to come to rescue us from our sin and death, from hell. And that's why Jesus came. And and God the Father sent his son to bear his wrath. You know, it's interesting in this day and age, the Greeks 
They would try to appease their gods whenever they felt like their god was mad at them. They would just do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. That's not how our God operates here in the New Testament. What did he do is he sent Jesus. He said, you don't have to continue to make sacrifices when I'm mad at you. But I love you because I sent my son and I had to bear my wrath and my anger on him because it had to go somewhere. And Jesus took it for us. He took that full wrath of God, the Father, on himself for us. That's what propitiation means. It means to appease God's wrath. It means to satisfy God's demands, justice, to satisfy that justice of God, that wrath of God. There are three other times in the New Testament where the word propitiation is used. Romans 3.25, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And a few weeks ago, we looked at 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Again, it means to satisfy the wrath of God. Propitiation teaches us that God's holiness required satisfaction and that God's love provided satisfaction. His holiness required to be satisfied, but his love provided that satisfaction. There's a great book out there. If you don't have it in your library, I encourage you to get it. It's a classic, The Cross for Christ by John Stott back in the 1970s. It's a classic and it talked a lot about propitiation in this deep word, the atonement. And there's a phrase in there I wanna read, a quote that he has in here. He said, it is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated, God himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiation, and God himself who in the person of his son died for the propitiation for our sins. Thus God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it his own self in his own son when he took our place and died for us. That's a mouthful. But I really think it, it hits home. And the summary is, is that somebody had to bear his wrath because of our sin. But we couldn't do it because we're not perfect. It needed to be a perfect sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to keep going like the Old Testament days and keep slaughtering bulls and lambs and making that sacrifice. That's why Jesus came to die once and for all, to satisfy divine judgment. And he did that for you and for me, believer. As I was studying this concept of sacrificial love, I came across an example I had never read before. William Gladstone, back in the day, he announced the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons. And do you know how Princess Alice died back in the day? Well, she had a little daughter. And this princess's daughter was seriously ill with diphtheria. The doctors told the princess, the mother, not to kiss her little daughter and endanger her life by having the child's breath be breathed on her. But there was a moment when her child, who was just in the same room as her, The child was struggling to breathe, and the mother completely forgot herself entirely. 
She took her little girl in her arms to keep her from choking to death. And rasping and struggling for her life, the child looked at her mom and she said, Mommy, please kiss me. And without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. She forgot, or she ended up getting diphtheria. And just a few days later, Princess Alice died. You know, real love, it forgets self. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. That's what agape love is. And it was manifested, it was made visible by Jesus Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. That's the greatest act imaginable that Jesus would lay down his life for his friends, for you and for me. Stephanie, on our wedding day, she got me this ring, and in it was a surprise. It says, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. It's, it's just engraved in the inside of it. And the reason why is that was the passage that our pastor preached. And if you go to Song of Psalms, chapter 8, you'll learn all, all about love. And there's a verse in there that says, Many waters cannot quench love cannot quench love, but neither can the floods drown it. Many, sorry, (laughs) getting choked up. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the the floods drown it. That's love. Song of Psalms 8. Read it, verse five through seven, read it, and you will understand what true love is. The third thing that John mentions is that love is demonstrated by his people. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What John is getting at is that love is demonstrated By us, the love of God, this agape love is demonstrated by us when we show grace to others. You know, it's not this whole idea that if I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but instead God wants us to pay it forward. You know, God does not expect us, and he's he's also not saying that we can pay love back to him. I mean, he wants us to love him, right? He's pleased by that, but he doesn't need it. But instead, God wants us to pay that love forward. You know, when I, was a, a, when I was a teenager, it was a classic movie called Pay It Forward, and there was a social studies middle school teacher, and he taught his class this concept of paying it forward, that when you're given a gift by someone, go, instead of giving it back to that person, go and give it to somebody else, or go do something, a random act of kindness to somebody else. And that movie is, is a classic movie because this little boy, he ends up going and he serves the homeless, and he does all these random acts of kindness, and the boy ends up catching something and he dies, well, because of his pay-it-forward lifestyle that he lived, at his death, the whole town changed, and the whole town ended up doing all these random acts of kindnesses uh, to other people, and it just spread like wildfire. That's what God's getting at here. True love is demonstrated by his people, us, the believer, when we go and love one another, when we pay it forward. And that's what God wants us to do. 
Again, it's, it's trying to be others-minded and others-focused and not focus so much on me. You know, this weekend, uh, Steffi and I, we, we got to go and, and be in Kingsport. I, um, I spoke at a marriage conference for about 20 military couples, and we came back this morning, <laughs> believe it or not. But, but I got to speak on the five love languages. And I do these retreats about six times a year for these military families. And this is one of the curriculum we use. If you've never gone through the five love languages, I would encourage you to do it. I mean, they have books for children and teens and singles and, uh, and married and probably aunts and uncles. No, they, it, Chapman has a book on every kind of relationship out there for the five love languages. But as I was teaching this to the families, it was interesting because every time I teach this curriculum to people, I have them take the test and they score and there's five different love languages you can have. You can have words of affirmation, you can have quality time, you can have receiving gifts or, or uh, acts of service or even physical touch. Those are the five love languages. So we have these couples take the test and every single time I ask the question, okay, what did you score? And they tell me what they scored and what their primary love language is and their secondary love language is. And then I ask them, how do you express love to your spouse? And they'll say, oh, by my love language. That's how I show my love to them. And then almost every time I'll ask the spouse, okay, what did you score? And it's opposite. Or they don't really, you know, they don't really respond well to, to the other person's love language. And it's fascinating to me because the person who shows the love oftentimes expresses it by how they like to be loved instead of knowing how their spouse likes to be loved. It's a natural thing. But when you begin to enter the other person's world and discover how they like to be loved and you begin to express that kind of love to them, they begin to draw towards you as opposed to be draw away, drawn away. I really think it's a genius concept. It's not perfect and you can change throughout your life, but it's a great tool for your marriage and for any relationship that you're in, really, because it teaches you to be others-centered, to be others-focused. And Gary Chapman in the book, he said, love is the attitude that says, I am married to you, and I choose to look out for your interest. I'm married to you, and I choose to look out for your interests. That's what agape love is. When John said, beloved, if God has loved us, so we ought to love one another, that's what he's talking about. To enter the other person's world instead of thinking about what's in it for me. He goes on in verse 12, no, it says, no one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us and love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. Do you know what that word seen is in Greek? It's theomai, which is where we get the word theater. What John was writing here is he's saying, no one has actually seen God on the big screen. We don't know what he looks like. There's been visions, theophanies of what he could be. But if you're in the presence of God, you would be struck dead. But what John was getting at is, even though no one has seen God the Father, we're able to see him through the love of his people. When his people love one another with that agape love, the world is able to see God and understand and know God. It's proof that God continues to live in us 
And so that's why he says, perfected in us, complete, bring to an end, accomplish. The love of God is brought to fruition in us and is brought to its intended purpose when we love one another. And this love reveals God to a watching world. So what John teaches us here is very important. Love is demonstrated by God's people. We demonstrate it when we're others-minded, when we're selfless, not selfish, when we love sacrificially. I've talked about Samaritan's Purse before, but Samaritan's Purse has really been impressing me lately. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking really impressing me. They went from doing this Operation Christmas box child that's helped many people around the world to now expanding their ministry to going in like military-like and serving people who are dying. And you remember the COVID days? I really don't want to remember it. I want to forget it. But you remember the COVID days in 2020 in March? And all of a sudden, we're like, this world is about to change. And we had no idea what we were getting into. Well, I remember the first few days watching the news and watching COVID and trying to figure out what in the world is happening to the world and to us. And what does this mean? And I remember day three in the news, I hear about Samaritan's Purse. And what did they do? They flew into northern Italy which is where we, we started learning about this virus from China, right? We started learning about us, and, and we started seeing everybody was fleeing and running away from Italy because all these people were getting this unknown virus. But who was going into Italy? It was the Christians. It was the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. There was a, a guy, his, his, his name was John Trout, or Troke, rather, and John Troke was on that first mission to northern Italy, and do you know what Troke said? He said, we got there and we said, no patient will die alone. They said, we were scared to death. We didn't know what we were getting into. Nobody knew about this virus, but we knew we needed to be there. We needed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And they said, no one will die alone. And they got in there, they they rolled up their sleeves, they got dirt underneath their fingernails, and no one died alone once they got there. There were people, and peop- there were many, many people who died, but they always had somebody with them by their side. One thing that he said is he said, typically when a patient would get discharged after they were able to improve, he said everyone would stop the work that they were doing, and he, would said, and he said, and there was a huge celebration that would break out where 30 to 40 people would gather outside the tent and clap and cheer for the recovered patient. But when a patient would die, they would always have someone with them and they would honor the deceased. My friends, that's what agape love is. And we have the privilege in this year, in our lifetime, to see a group like that that is doing incredible work. We're approaching a missions conference and we're gonna hear more and more about incredible work that God is doing around his world. And you and I can be a huge part of that. So what is love? Well, John tells us that love was originated by God. Love was manifested by the Son. And love is demonstrated by his people. And so one thing I would encourage you to do this Valentine's week. Yeah, you might do something nice for your spouse or your loved one or your kids. 
But I want you to think about something different this year. Just, this just came from my heart earlier. I want you to write somebody in this church. Men, find another guy in the church that's a friend of yours. And just call him out of the blue or send him a text and tell him one, one thing you appreciate about him. Ladies, do the same. Find another woman in the, in the church that maybe you haven't talked to in a while and just say, hey, I just wanted you to know that I was praying for you today and that I love this about you. I appreciate this about you. You know, one of the motto or one, one part of our motto is to be unwavering in love. And what better time to do that and to demonstrate that agape love to each other than this week? So please take my challenge this week and don't just care for your family and those closest to you. Care for your church family and start showing the love to one another.